Chapter Eleven of An American Politician. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. An American Politician by F. Marion Crawford. Chapter Eleven. Ronald went to see Sybil Brandon at five o'clock, and as it chanced, he found her alone. Mrs. Wynnum, she said, had gone out, or rather she had not yet come home, but if Ronald would wait, she would certainly be in. Ronald waited and talked to Miss Brandon in the meanwhile. He had a bereaved air when he arrived, which was calculated to excite sympathy, and his conversation was subdued in tone and grave in subject. But Sybil did her best to cheer him, and in the fullness of her sympathy did perhaps more than was absolutely necessary ronald's wound was not deep but he had a firm conviction that it ought to be any man would have thought the same in his place certainly few people would have understood what they felt in such a position he had grown up believing he was to marry a young and charming woman of whom he was really exceedingly fond and now he was suddenly told that the whole thing was a mistake it was enough to break a man's heart and yet ronald's heart was not broken and to his great surprise beat nearly as regularly the day after his disaster as it had done during the whole two-and-twenty years of his life he could not understand his own calmness and he was sure that he ought to be profoundly grieved over the whole affair so that his face was drawn into an expression of solemnity somewhat out of keeping with its singular youthful freshness of colour and outline the idea of devoting himself to the infernal gods as a sacrifice to the blighted passion had passed away in the course of the drive on the previous afternoon he had felt no inclination to drown his cares in drink during the evening but on the contrary he had gone for a brisk walk in beacon street and had ascertained by actual observation and the assistance of a box of matches the precise position of number nine three six this had occupied some time as it is a peculiarity of boston to put the number of the houses on the back instead of the front so that the only certain course to follow in searching for a friend is to reach the rear of his house by a circuitous route through side streets and back alleys and then having fixed the exact position of his residence by astronomical observation to return to the front and inquire for him it is true that even then one is frequently mistaken but there is nothing else to be done it was perhaps not extraordinary that ronald should be at some pains to find out where mrs wynnum lived for sybil was the only person besides joe and miss schenectady whom he had yet met and he wanted company for he hated and dreaded solitude with his whole heart having travelled all the night previous he went home and slept a sounder sleep than falls to the lot of most jilted lovers the next day he rose early and did boston it did not take him long 
and he said to himself that half of it was very jolly, and half of it was too utterly beastly for anything. The Common, and the Gardens, and Commonwealth Avenue, you know, were rather pretty, and must have cost a deuce of a lot of money in this country. But as for the State House, and Paul Revere's Church, and the Old South, and the City generally, why, it was simply disgusting, all that, you know. And in the afternoon he went to see Sybil Brandon, and began talking about what he had seen. She was, if anything, more beautiful than ever, and as she looked at him, and held out her hand with a friendly greeting, Ronald felt himself actually blushing, and Sybil saw it, and blushed too, a very little. Then they sat down by the window where there were plants, and they looked out at the snow and people passing. Sybil asked Ronald what he had been doing. "'I have been doing Boston,' he said. "'Of course, it was the proper thing. But I am afraid I do not know much about it.' "'But do you like it?' she asked. "'It is much more important, I think, to know whether you like things or dislike them, than to know everything about them.' Do not you think so? Oh, of course, said Ronald. But I like Boston very much. I mean the part where you live. All this, you know, Commonwealth Place, and the public park, you know, and Beacon Avenue, of course, very much. But the city... You do not like the city? suggested Sybil, seeing he hesitated, and smiling at his strange confusion of names. No, said Ronald, I think it is so cramped and ugly, and all little narrow streets. But then, of course, it is such a little place. You get into the country the moment you walk anywhere. It seems very big to the Bostonians, said Sybil, laughing. Oh, of course, you have lived here all your life, and so it is quite different. I, dear me, no, I am not a Bostonian at all. Oh, said Ronald, I thought you were. That was the reason I was not sure of abusing the city to you. But it is not a bad place, I should think, when you know lots of people. And that was such a pretty drive we went yesterday. Yes, it must seem very new to you. Everything must, I should think. Most of all, this casual way we have of receiving people. But there really is a Mrs. Wenham, with whom I am staying, and she will be in before long. Oh, don't, don't mention her, said Ronald hastily. I mean it. It is of no importance whatever, you know. He blushed violently. Sybil laughed, and Ronald blushed again, but in all his embarrassment he could not help thinking what a silvery ring there was in her voice. I'm afraid Mrs. Wynnum would not like it if she heard you telling me she was not to be mentioned, and was not of any importance whatever. "'But she is a very charming woman, and I am very fond of her.' "'She is your aunt, I presume, Miss Brandon?' said Ronald. "'My aunt?' repeated Sybil. "'Oh, no, not at all. Only a friend.' "'Oh, I thought all unattached young ladies lived with aunts here, like Miss Schenectady.' Ronald smiled grimly at the recollections of the previous day. "'Not quite that,' said Sybil, laughing. Mrs. Wynnum is not the least like Miss Schenectady. She is less clever and more human. Really, I'm so glad, said Ronald. 
and she talks so oddly joe's miss thorn's aunt could you tell me if it is not a rude question why so many people here are never certain of anything it strikes me as so absurdly ridiculous you know she said yesterday that perhaps if i rang the bell she could send a message and the man at the hotel this morning had no postage stamps and said that perhaps if i went to the general post office i might be able to get some there yes said sybil it is absurd and one catches it so easily but would it not be ridiculous if the guard called out at a station perhaps this is boston or perhaps this is new york it would be too utterly funny i am afraid that if you begin to make a list of our peculiarities you will find funnier things than that said sybil laughing but then we always laugh at you in england so that it is quite fair oh we are very absurd i know said ronald but i think we are much more comfortable for instance we do not have niggers about who call us mister you must not use such words in boston mr surbiton said sybil seriously there are people who would be very much offended you must speak of waiters of color or the colored help you must be very careful i will said ronald thanks is everything rechristened in that way i am afraid i shall always be in hot water oh yes there are no men and women here they are all ladies and gentlemen or the girls and the fellows but it is very soon learnt yes i can imagine said ronald very much amused but by the by this is the season here is not it so they chattered together for nearly an hour about the merest nothings not saying anything particularly witty but never seeming to each other in the least dull ronald had gone to sybil for consolation and he was so well consoled that he was annoyed when mrs wyndham came in and interrupted his tete-a-tete sybil introduced ronald and when he rose to go after a quarter of an hour mrs wyndham asked him to dinner on the following day that night when ronald was alone in his room at the hotel he took josephine's photograph from a case in his bag and set it before him on the table he would think about her for a while and reflect on his situation and he sat down for that purpose his chin resting on his folded hands dear joe he loved her so dearly and she was so cruel not to marry him but somehow as he looked he seemed to see through the photograph and another face came and smiled on him again and again he called his attention back and tried to realize that the future would be very blank and dreary without joe but do what he could it did not seem so blank and dreary after all there was somebody else there joe is quite right he said aloud i am a brute and he went to bed trying hard to be disgusted with himself but his dreams were sweet for he dreamed he was sitting among the ferns at mrs wyndham's house talking to sybil brandon why my dear said mrs wyndham when ronald was gone he is perfectly charming we have positively found a new man yes said sybil i am so glad you asked him to dinner 
I do not think he is very clever, but he talks easily and says funny things. I suppose he has come over to marry his cousin, has not he? inquired Mrs. Wynnum. No, replied Sybil. He is not going to marry Joe Thorne, she answered absently, for she was thinking of something, and her tone indicated such absolute certainty in the matter that Mrs. Wynnum looked quickly at her. "'Well, you seem quite certain about it, anyway,' she said. "'I? Oh, well, yes. I think it is extremely unlikely that he will marry her. "'I almost wish I had offered to take him to the party to-night,' said Mrs. Wynnum, evidently unsatisfied. "'However, as he is coming to-morrow, that will do quite as well. "'Sybil, dear, you look tired. Why don't you go and lie down before dinner?' "'Oh, because I am not tired, really. I am always pale, you know.' "'Well, I am tired to death myself, my dear, and as there is no one here, I will say I am not at home, and rest till dinner.' Mrs. Wynnum had been as much startled as any one by news of the senator's death that morning, and though she always professed to agree with her husband, she was delighted at the prospect of John Harrington's election. She had been a good friend to him, and he to her, for years, and she cared much more for his success than for the turn of events. She had met him in the street that afternoon, and they had preambulated the pavement of Beacon Street for more than an hour in the discussion of the future. John had also told her that he was now certain that Vancouver was the writer of the offensive articles that had so long puzzled him at all events that the especial one which had appeared the morning after the skating party was undoubtedly from his pen mrs wynnum who had long suspected as much was very angry when she found that her suspicions had been so just and she proposed to deal summarily with vancouver john however begged her to temporize and she promised to be prudent by the way she said to sybil as she was about to leave the room it was a special providence that you did not marry Vancouver. He has turned out badly. Sybil started slightly and looked up. Her experience with Pocock Vancouver was a thing she rarely referred to. She had undoubtedly given him great encouragement, and had then mercilessly refused him, to the great surprise of everyone. But as that had occurred a year and a half ago, it was quite natural that she should treat him like anyone else now, just as though nothing had happened. She looked up at Mrs. Wynnum in some surprise. "'What has he done?' she asked. "'You know how he always talks about John Harrington. He always says he respects him immensely.' "'Very well. It is he who has been writing those scurrilous articles that we have talked about so much.' "'How disgraceful!' exclaimed Sybil. "'How perfectly detestable! Are you quite sure?' "'There is not the least doubt about it. John Harrington told me himself.' "'Oh, then of course it is true,' said Sybil. "'How dreadful!' "'Harrington takes it in the calmest way, as though he had expected it all his life.' He says they were never friends, and that Vancouver has a perfect right to his political opinions. I never saw anybody so cool in my life. 
"'What a splendid fellow he is!' exclaimed Sybil. "'There is something lion-like about him. "'He would forgive an enemy a thousand times a day, "'and say the man who injured him had a perfect right to his opinions.' "'My gracious goodness, Sybil, how you talk!' cried Mrs. Wyndham. "'You are not in love with the man yourself, are you, my dear?' "'I?' asked Sybil. Then she laughed. "'No, indeed, I would not marry him if he asked me.' "'Why not?' "'Oh, I would never marry a celebrity like that. He is splendid, and noble, and honest. But everything in him is devoted to his career. There is no room for a woman at all.' "'I think the amount of solid knowledge about men that you dear, sweet, lovely, beautiful, innocent little girls possess is something just too perfectly amazing.' said Mrs. Wenham, slowly and with great emphasis. "'If we do,' said Sybil, "'it is not surprising. I am sure I do not wonder at girls knowing a great deal about the world. Everything is discussed before them, and marriage and men are the usual topics of conversation. The wonder is that girls still make so many mistakes in their choice.' after listening to the combined experience of all the married women of their acquaintance for several years. It shows that no one is infallible. "'What a funny girl you are, Sybil!' exclaimed Mrs. Wyndham. "'I think you turned the tables on me altogether.' "'Yes? Well, I have experiences of my own now,' said Sybil, leaning back against an enormous cushion." Mrs. Wyndham came and sat upon the arm of the easy-chair, and put one arm round Sybil's neck, and kissed her. "'Sybil, dear,' she said affectionately, and then stopped. They sat in silence for some time, looking at the great logs burning in the deep fireplace. "'Sybil, dear,' Mrs. Wyndham began again, presently, "'why did you refuse Vancouver? You do not mind telling me, do you?' "'Why do you ask?' said Sybil. "'It makes no difference now.' "'No, perhaps not. Only I always thought it strange. He must have done something you did not like, of course.' "'Yes, that was it. He did something I did not like. Mr. Harrington would have said he had a perfect right to do as he pleased, but I could not marry him after that.' "'Was it anything so very bad?' asked Mrs. Wyndham, affectionately, smoothing Sybil's thick, fair hair. "'It was not as deep as a well, nor as broad as a house,' said Sybil, with a faint, scornful laugh. "'But it was enough. It would do.' "'I wish you would tell me, dear,' persisted Mrs. Wyndham. "'I have a particular reason for wanting to know.' "'Well, I would not have told before this other affair came out,' said Sybil. I would not marry him, because he tried to find out from poor Mamma's man of business whether we were rich. And the day after he got the information that I was rich enough to suit him, he proposed. But Mamma knew all about what had gone on and told me, and so I refused him. She said I was wrong, and would not have told me if she had known it would make any difference. And now you say I was right. I am sure I was. It was only a fancy I had for him, because he was so clever and well-bred. Besides, he is much too old. 
"'He is old enough to be your father, my dear,' said Mrs. Wynnum. "'But I think you were a little hard on him. "'Almost any man would do the same. "'We here in Boston, of course, always know about each other. "'It was a little mean of him, no doubt, but it was not a mortal crime.' "'I think it was low,' said Sybil decisively. "'To think a man as rich as that caring for a paltry twenty or thirty thousand a year.' "'I know, my dear,' said Mrs. Wynnum. "'It is mean. "'But they all do it, and life is uncertain, "'and so is business, I suppose, "'and twenty or thirty thousand a year "'does make a difference to most people, I expect.' "'Mrs. Wynnum looked at the fire reflectively, "'as though not absolutely certain "'of the truth of the proposition. "'Sam Wynnum was commonly reputed "'to be worth a dozen millions or so.' He would have been very well off even in New York, and in Boston he was rich. "'It would make a great difference to me,' said Sybil, laughing, "'for it is all I have in the world. But I am glad I refused Vancouver on that ground, all the same. If it had not been for that, I should have married him. Just imagine!' "'Yes, just imagine!' exclaimed Mrs. Wynnum and to have had him turn out such an abominable blackguard. "'There is no mistaking what you think of him now, at all events,' said Sybil. "'No, my dear, and now we have talked so long that it is time to dress for dinner.' How Mrs. Wynnum went to the party and met Joe Thorne has already been told. It was no wonder that Mrs. Sam treated Vancouver so coldly, and she repulsed him again more than once during the evening. When Joe was gone, John Harrington went up to her. "'I am very late,' he said, "'and at first I could not find you, "'and then I had to say something to Miss Thorne. "'But I wanted to see you especially.' "'Give me your arm,' said Mrs. Wynnum, "'and we will go into the conservatory. "'I have something especial to say to you, too.' Once out of the thick of the party, they sat down. "'I have discovered something more about our amiable friend,' she continued. "'It is a sidelight on his character, something he did a year and a half ago. "'Do you remember his flirtation with Sybil Brandon at Saratoga and then at Newport?' "'Yes, I was in Newport most of the summer.' "'You don't know why she refused him, though. "'It's perfectly rich,' Mrs. Sam laughed dryly. "'No, I only know she did.' "'and everyone seemed very much astonished,' answered John. "'She refused him because he had been trying to find out how much she was worth. "'It speaks volumes for the characters of both of them, does it not?' "'Yes, indeed,' said John. "'What a Jew that man is! He is as rich as Croesus.' "'Oh, well, as I told her, most men would do it.' "'I suppose so.' "'John answered, laughing a little. "'A man the other night told me he was going to make inquiries "'concerning the fortunes of his beloved one. "'He said he had no idea of buying a pig in a poke. "'That was graceful, was it not?' "'Mrs. Wynnum laughed aloud. "'He was honest at all events. "'By the by, do you know you have a fanatic admirer in Sybil Brandon?' "'No, really. I like her very much, too.' "'and I am very glad if she likes me.' "'She said she would not marry you if you asked her, though,' 
said Mrs. Sam, laughing again. You see, you must not flatter yourself too much. I do not. I should not think of asking her to marry me. Did she give any special reason why she would inevitably refuse me? Yes, indeed. She said you were lion-like, and, oh, the most delightful things. But she said she would not marry you if you asked her, because you are a celebrity and devoted to your career, so that there is no room for a woman in your life. Is that true? I am not so sure, said John thoughtfully. Perhaps she is right in the way she means. I never thought much about it. End of chapter 11